Thanks again, praise team. Good morning, everyone. Again, I have that habit. Just every time I'm up here, I feel like I'm doing announcements. <laughs> Even when I'm here to preach. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, Paul has the day off, and so I am filling in uh, for this service. Uh, Kyle is actually taking the 8 o'clock and the 11, uh, but because he's been teaching Sunday school during this time, we wanted him to keep up with that. So I'm filling in for him. Uh, tonight, today we are going to be talking about money. So this is a very uncomfortable sermon, so I'll give you a choice. Kyle is teaching his Sunday school class down there, so if you want to leave right now and not feel convicted about money, uh, no, I'm just kidding you a little bit. I am going to ask, uh, can I have two gentlemen come up here and help hand out outlines for me real quick? We're going to be covering a lot of principles. Um, oh, Nick, yes. Thank you. You are a great gentleman. <laughs> A uh, gentleman and a scholar, right? No. Uh, we are talking about the issue of money. A couple of uh, months ago, Lifeway was going, of course, closing down their physical locations, and so they always have book sales and stuff, so I love books. Uh, I went and I bought a number of different books. Uh, one of them was on money because for counseling and stuff, I don't have too many of them, but this one I will highly recommend, and you'll find it on our book rack eventually. It's uh, 12 Things Jesus Said About Money. Um, and it brought out some really good highlights and biblical principles that I want to share with you today, uh, things that we can easily find in Scripture that are very plain. But why, why should we even focus on money? Well, for two reasons. One, many of you guys know that money is probably one of the most talked-about subjects in all of Scripture uh, because money controls a lot, or at least it can give us a lot, or it seems that way. Jesus talks about money over and over again in his ministry, gives us a number of warnings about what happens when we follow it, and so that's what we're going to look at today. We want to know really what is the Christian's perspective on money. The second reason we're looking at this subject is because of the world's perspective on money. They highly, highly value it. They tell you that it's something to be sought after. Do whatever you can to obtain it. And then honestly, in most music today, you'll find that People say that if you have money, it'll solve most of your problems in this world. The problem is that is absolutely not true, and so we want to uh, take a look at that today. I want to start off with this. This is a quote from the book that I thought was actually very good in kind of summarizing what we need to understand about it. It says, money is not the real issue here. The issue is what's driving our hearts, because we cannot will not and must not be slave-driven by money. What role or place should money occupy in your heart and in your thinking and in how you prioritize each and every day? Money is neither good nor bad. It can do a lot of good and it can do a lot of bad. But the problem really is, is what kind of attachment does it have in our hearts? And so I really kind of like this quote because it deals with this idea and it, it combines this idea of slave-driven, which is what we're going to take a look at here today in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 16. Uh, when I think about money, one of the things that comes to my mind is, does anyone know who this is? I know I have a very older crowd, but Scrooge McDuck has been around for quite a while. One of Disney's uh, characters taken after uh, Charles Dickinson's Scrooge, actually. Uh, he is the same kind of thing, personified in a duck, and all he cares about is gold, money, and jewels. In fact, as me and my kids were watching the new uh, DuckTales shows and stuff like that, 
Uh, it's abundantly clear Scrooge will do whatever he can to gather money up for himself. Unfortunately, while this is a cartoon character and we all find this funny, we all probably know someone in our lives who tends to go after money that kind of, with that kind of attitude. I could just never get enough of it. Um, let's face it, we probably all have faced that attitude in our own lives, right? Uh, at one point or another, you've probably thought to yourself, man, I, could, I just need more money. If I just had more money, it would solve this issue. To be fair, me and my wife are looking at buying a house and we're, we're trying to figure out what we can afford and stuff. And there's been times I've had to combat this attitude where it's, man, if only I just had more money, the problem would be solved. But the problem isn't the money, it's my attachment to thinking, oh, money could solve this issue. Jesus brings it up in Matthew chapter 6, 24 and Luke chapter 6, 16, 13. If you turn to either one of those passages, it's going to read pretty much very much the same way. It simply says this in Matthew, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Luke 16, 13 simply adds a little phrase or word in there. No servant can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, to be very fair, Jesus could have probably put no one can serve God and another God in there, but he chooses the word money. Uh, and as many of you guys know, one thing I love to do is do audience interaction. So why do you think Jesus, in his teaching here, tells the people, you can't have two masters, oh, by the way, you can't serve both God and money. Why do you think he chooses money as that word there? Why choose money? Why not choose uh, food? Or, Cindy? Okay, security. Yeah, right? Can money kind of bring security a little bit? You could pay for what you need or want. It could kind of make you feel safe. Okay, what else? Why, else why, why do you think Jesus chooses money here? You could pay for what you want. Okay, good. How do you obtain it? Uh, work. Oh, you, you have to work for it, don't you? Yeah. It doesn't just magically grow on trees, does it, Kabi? That'd be a great tree to have, right? The money tree. That doesn't happen. We have to work for it. We have to give our time, our energy to obtain it. Okay, good. What else? What else about money is there? Is there a limit to what money can buy? Yeah, to some extent, yeah. Uh, everyone in here probably has to use money at one time or another, right? You're all going to have to face that fact. You all need money to kind of live, to buy things in this world. Um, it happens like that. Jesus uses something that everyone has to deal with in order to bring this point down to its very core. Because why? Money is going to buy you food. It could buy you entertainment. It could buy you clothing. It could buy security to some extent. It can make you feel secure if you have enough of it, but only for a little while until it's gone. 
Yeah, Jesus uses money because everyone in that crowd understands this. They know that they need money to live. And like I said, money's not bad, and it's also not good. It's a tool, and it depends on how we use it. So Jesus makes it very clear. Look, you can't serve two masters, or I like how Luke says it. A servant can't serve two masters. How many of you guys have ever had two jobs at one time? Okay, yeah, a number of you guys here. Uh, I used to work full-time in a restaurant and then part-time over here as an intern when I first started about oh, seven, eight years ago now. Um, and I was also doing college at that time. And what had happened was as I started working more and more in the office as the intern, uh, doing what I, I felt like I was called to do, studying God's Word, learning about it, teaching uh, classes here at church and stuff like that, Okay, I started to grow more and more in love with the job of, uh, of being a ministry, in ministry here. And don't get me wrong, I loved working in a restaurant. That was fun, but I knew that that's not where I wanted to stay. And so I quickly learned that there was a tension there that, okay, well, I, I know I have to work here because this one is actually paying me, yet here is what I love to do. This is my passion. And I remember when John had actually decided that he was going to be going over to Brookfield, um, the thing came up was, hey, they needed someone to fill in. And so uh, as the pastoral intern at that point, they were just saying, hey, is this something you'd be interested in doing kind of long term? And I said, yes, this is definitely my field. This is where I want to be at. Um, is there any way that there's a possibility of getting paid for it? Because right now I'm working full time at the restaurant. I'm working, doing full time college and I can only do part time here. I'd love to be able to kind of open my hours. And the thing was there was this tension between the job that was paying me and the job that I loved to do. And I knew I had to do one to kind of meet needs, but then I was like, okay, well, maybe this one that I could combine my passion and kind of get paid for it as well. Luckily, the Lord uh, saw fit and kind of led me in this direction, and now I'm here eight years down the road doing this full time, and I love it. But it's easy to kind of split your loyalty between two things, but the thing is it doesn't last very long. You will eventually choose one that you are going to really want to serve. You're going to have a passion for, a heart for. And that's what Jesus makes very clear in his principle. No one can serve two masters. You're going to put yourself under something, and you're going to need to choose that something. Because why? Jesus also makes it very clear. You are going to learn to either love the one and hate the other or be devoted to one, loyal to one, and you're going to despise the other. You're going to hate it. And so the fact of the matter, he boils it down to these two kind of gods. There's, you can either serve God or you could serve money. The choice is yours of which one you're going to choose to do. So we want to take a look here quickly at what does it look like, oh, maybe, Hank, can you flip that over to the next slide for me? We're going to take a look at two people. We're going to look at the person who loves to serve money, who's chosen money as their master, and we're going to see what they look like. And then we're going to take a look at what it looks like for someone who's chosen God, to serve God as their master, all right? So we're going to go through this very quickly, and in your... Uh, outlines, you're going to see some fill-in-the-blanks, and these are, are where you're going to need some writing utensils for. I'm not going to ask you to turn to each one, but I am going to read these passages to you, and we're going to talk a little bit about the principles that we see in these passages. So what does it look like for a person who's serving money? 
Well, the first passage there you'll see is Ecclesiastes 5.10. It simply says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. So the first fill in the blank there is simply this, it's never enough. Money is never enough. You're always going to want more. And this is coming from a king who had so much gold that the Bible actually says that gold was more abundant than the stones in Israel. And if you haven't been to Israel and seen how desert and stony it is, that's a pretty interesting comparison. This king had more than enough money, but he quickly realized that it's never enough and it's never satisfying. It's empty. It's void. It's vanity. There's just never enough. And so the person who chooses money to be their master is never going to be satisfied. They're never going to have enough of it. They're always going to want more, more, and more. And that can become a problem because it will lead you astray. You'll do whatever you can to obtain more. Then the next passage you'll see there is Luke 12, 13 through 21. It says this. Someone in the crowd yelled to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, who, who made me your judge or your arbiter over you? Take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. A man in a crowd yelled out to Jesus, tell my brother to share the, the family money with me. Who was he looking out for? Himself. And Jesus gets straight to the heart of the problem. Be on guard against covetousness, or another word is greed. Greed, and that's going to be your blank there. Luke 12, 13 through 21 is greed, or being greedy. The person who chooses to serve money is going to have an attitude of greed. They're going to want, 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 and they're going to try to take whatever they can from others for themselves. My, my son is currently struggling with this attitude, and um, when he plays with his little brother... Since, okay, to be fair, let's be fair. Firstborn, all the toys technically are kind of his, right? Like, because grandma and grandpa bought him that stuff, and of course, we've held on to it. Now he has brothers. Now he has to share. But the problem is, when Neil wants to play with V, um, V will give him one or two toys, and V will hold all the other toys to himself, and he's like, they're mine. Well, that's technically true, V, but... <laughs> The reality is, no, you need to share with your brother. I see, when we go after possessions or when we go after money, we tend to say, no, this is what? My money. You don't get it. This is mine. I've worked for it. And we can have that attitude of greed that we have to be on guard against. The next one here is Matthew 20, 11 through 16. It's a parable Jesus was telling the crowd. The master went out and he decided to hire some workers at the beginning of the day and he told them, hey, I will pay you a denarii if you work for me all day. The guy said, hey, that's fair, let's do it. They go out, they work in the field all day. The master then goes out, if, as many of you know, he goes out at 12 at noon and then he goes out at 3 and then he goes out at 5 and he hires more workers and he says, hey, I'll pay you a denarii if you work for me today. At the end of the day, this is what you'll get. They all say, hey, this is good. At the end of the day, the workers start leaving. And the master gives them all a denarii. And the guys who got hired at the beginning of the day come up to the master and say, 
hey, we worked for you all day. I think we, we, we think we should get more because we've been here all day. You gave them a darnari, we, we probably deserve more. And the master says, no, you agreed to work for a denari. You agreed to the payment. And the thing is, it's out of my generosity, out of my mercy to give a denarii to the rest of them. Now what's interesting about this parable is he's telling this parable to his disciples. And he's talking about working for, for God. The fact of the matter is, the fill in the blank there is, when we follow after money, we compare ourselves to others. It's real easy to start comparing ourselves to others when we chase after money. Either we say, hey, look, I'm doing much better than them. I must be on the right way. Or you could have the opposite attitude and say, man, how comes I don't make as much as they do? I do twice as much work. I deserve more money. When we follow after money and when we make money our God or our master, we get this idea that we need to compare ourselves to one another. And what I love here is it, the book actually says this, and I really kind of like this statement. Money is the completely wrong measuring stick for Christians to ascertaining whether we are successful or if we're failures as individuals. Who is it that we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to? The obvious answer is what? Jesus. Yes, Sunday school answer, right? Unfortunately, we compare ourselves to others and say, how comes I'm not getting as much as they? I've done more work. So when we serve money, we get compared... Uh, we compare ourselves to others. The next one, 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some, ha some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains or pangs. So what's the principle here? Well, if you choose to serve money, if you want to make money your master or your God, please understand that it's going to be a trap for other sins and other, other evils in your life. You're going to find yourself going down and making wrong decisions, going down the wrong path of life if you choose to serve and chase after money. Matthew 6, 1 through 2 is the next one here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others so that people will, be, uh, will see them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. The fill in the brink there is simply this. We give to be recognized. If we make money our master, our, 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 and we become a servant to it, our God, when we give, we're not giving out of the goodness of our heart. We're giving in order to be recognized, very much like the Pharisees did. Notice Jesus says that they sound trumpets before themselves. They make a show of their giving. They boast about it. They want to be recognized by others. And they know that money can buy recognition and fame and popularity. Then Luke 14, 12. Jesus says it again. He said also to the man uh, who had invited them, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your, invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives of, or, or rich neighbors. Why? Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So Luke 14, 12 actually brings this idea that if we follow money as a God, as a master, the problem is we tend to give in order to get something back. 
And that becomes a problem because that's not what giving is really about. I.e., parents, do you give Christmas gifts to your kids because they're going to give you gifts back? No, right? You give them gifts because you love them. Yet if you follow after money, you're going to say, well, if I give my money, well, what do I get in return? And so you're going to look for something to come back to you. And then the last one here, Mark 10, 21 through 22. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, talking to the rich young ruler, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Tonight, we're going to be taking a look at this in Matthew chapter 19, what Jesus actually talks about in this whole section about with the rich young ruler. Some really good principles. But the, the final fill in the blank here is that money can become uh, attachments to our heart. It creates attachments to our heart and drags us along with it. We, we have a hard time severing it. This young man asked Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus tells him, sell all you have, give it to the poor, store up treasure for yourself in heaven, and come follow me. That's how you get eternal life. It was very clear. You, you know what breaks this man's heart? Is that he's choosing his possessions over eternal life. Jesus told him the answer. He goes away sorrowful because he has a lot of possessions. He has a lot of attachments to the things in this world. And what happens is, is I, I like, uh, I forgot to put the pictures in there. Bummer. Um, I found two really great pictures. Uh, one is of, of a guy chained to his possessions, trying to walk through life. The fact of the matter is, when we have money, it creates attachments to our hearts through the things we buy with our money, and it gets really hard to separate. That's why Jesus in the next section says, hey, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because there's a lot that he has, that he trusts in. Cindy, you said security earlier. That's one of the primary ones. We think money can buy security. The problem is our money cannot buy eternal life. It's worthless before eternal life. Why wouldn't we want to get rid of it in order to have everything that God wants to give to us? But the problem is our hearts sometimes get attached to it. Now let's talk about what does it look like for a person serving God. So 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, 7, the first fill in the blank here. Each one of us must give as we have decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The first thing we see here is that if we choose to serve God, that we give from our heart. We give from our heart. We don't do it reluctantly, like, oh man, I have to give again. We don't do it under compulsion, i.e., there is no tithe command for Christians. There's a tithe command in the Old Testament for actually a lot of different things. But in the New Testament, you don't see anything like that. Why? Because a, a sign that you are a Christian, that you are following God, is that what? With your money, you're willing to give it up, to give it to something, to give it cheerfully, knowing that you are going to help serve God by giving away your money. The next one, Ephesians 4, 28, simply says this, 
Let, no, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul brings this out. He has, he has talked to the church about, hey, you used to be like the Gentiles. Now you're in Christ. You're supposed to act differently. And now he's saying, look, for the thief who has turned to Christ, you no longer steal and try to just gain for yourself. Now you go and you work with your hands so that you can earn money in order to do what? Meet people who are in need. Again, to give it away. You work to give. If we serve God and we choose God as our master, we are going to work to give. We're going to look for the needs for people who are in need, who need help. We're going to say, okay, Lord, what is it that I need to give to them? Hebrews 13.5 is the next one. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a pretty popular verse. I'm sure many of you guys know it. But the fill in the blank here is contentment. If you choose to follow God, you're going to learn how to be content. Because why? You have God. And when you have God, you know that he will provide for all of your needs. And you're going to say, no, you know what? I am content. I have what I have. I have what God has given me. And I'll make the best of it. And that's why Paul warns the Christians there, keep your life free from the love of money. The next one, Luke 14, 28, simply says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Now, Jesus is actually talking here about salvation and about the cost of following him, but it also goes with money. If we follow after God, we're going to count the cost. We're going to think about what is it that we are spending our money on? Is this a wise decision, a wise buy or not? Is this something I should be getting or not? To be fair, I'm sure many of you guys have gone through the grocery store, and like, especially if you're hungry, you've seen food, and you're like, man, do I, do I want to buy that? It's a little bit more expensive than I'd like to spend, but you know, I'm, oh, man, I'm really kind of hungry. Um, sushi does that for me, man. Sushi is one of those things that gets me going through giant, but I can't spend $7.50 on a thing of sushi. Why? Because that's, that's expensive. At least to me it is. So, uh, but the fact of the matter is we, as Christians, we need to think through about what we spend. Jesus makes it very clear. Wisdom says, do I have enough money to finish the project that I'm about to start? If the answer is no, back then he said you wouldn't build it. Because why? You would start building and then everyone would laugh at you because you weren't smart enough to realize you don't have the money for it. You've wasted money. And Jesus says the same thing about following him. You've you got to think about the cost of following him. What is it that you're going to give up? And he relates it to how we handle our money. So we think through our spending. We think about it. The next one, Mark 12, 41 through 44. He sat down on the opposite of the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. That's Jesus. Many rich people were giving large sums, but a poor widow came and she put in two small copper coins, which make up a penny. And he called his disciples and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all of those who are contributing to this offering box. For they all contributed out of the abundance of what they have, 
But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. If we follow after God, the principle here is that we are willing to give everything to God. We are willing to give everything to God. It's real easy to earn extra money and say, hey, I'm going to give the extra away. But what is it that you do with the regular money that comes in? Are you willing to give up some of that, some of your luxuries? Are you willing to give up just some of your, some of your food, the more expensive stuff for the week, to give it to God, to give it to people in need? Jesus here highlights the giving attitude of this poor widow. She gives everything she had. And when we follow after God, we are willing to give up everything in order to give. The next one, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, simply says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay, yourself, but lay for yourself uh, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves cannot break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The principle out of this one is simply that if we serve God, we are going to treasure eternal things. We're going to look to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. We're going to look to the end goal of all of this. This world, our possessions here and now, don't amount to anything compared to eternal life with God. As Christians, we should know that. For the rich young ruler, he said, no, I'd rather have my possessions here and now rather than have eternal life with God. I'd rather live in this luxury. But for Christians, we're opposite. We're saying, no, you know what? The stuff we have here and now amounts to nothing. It's garbage to compare to eternal life with God. That's where I want to have my focus at. And Jesus says, no, look, for, for the one who follows after him, our goal, our treasure is in heaven with him. We look to make eternal, lasting treasures. For many of you guys, you know that that can be souls of people. Giving to those in need can create opportunity for us to minister. Mark 10, 28 through 31, Peter began to say to him, See, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left a house, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, child, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands uh, with persecution and in the age to come for eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The principle here in Mark 10, 28 is simply this, that we lose to gain. We lose to gain. We lose things in this life when we choose to follow after Christ. Sometimes it's families. Our families will dislike us because of our choices, because of, and I'll put it in quotes, our religion or our relationship with Christ because of how it changes us. We don't do the things we used to do or that they do. We may lose friends. We may lose coworkers. We may lose a job because of it. The fact of the matter is Jesus says, no one has given up anything here on earth that will not be repaid to them a hundredfold if you choose to lose it for my sake and for the gospel's sake. There's a reward for those who lose here. And for Christians, we lose things here on earth in order to gain things that are eternal. And the last one, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Jesus makes it very clear to the people, don't be anxious for anything. 
What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after those things. That's where their mind is at. They're worried about tomorrow. But you who, it says this, um, but your heavenly Father knows all that you need of them. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The principle here is living to know that God is going to provide for us. We live to know that God is going to provide for us. Our, our, our mind shouldn't be focused on, okay, what am I going to do about tomorrow? How am I going to make ends meet? What am I going to do? Those things are important, but you see, Jesus here says the Gentiles are super concerned about that. That's, that's all of what their mind is wrapped around, yet your mind is supposed to be wrapped around not on how am I going to make tomorrow, how am I going to make ends meet tomorrow? No, it's what can I do for God? And I know that and trust that God will provide. One of the coolest uh, illustrations is, of course, George Mueller, who owned an orphanage, right? George Mueller never asked for money, which is kind of crazy to me. People just willingly gave to his causes. Uh, one of the famous stories is that he didn't have breakfast one day for the kids. But he sat them down like they were about to eat breakfast. They prayed, and he made sure that he thanked God for the food that he would provide. Many of you guys know the story that... It, Pretty much simultaneously, the baker knocked on the door and told him, hey, he had baked more than enough for the day, and he gave some to the orphanage. Meanwhile, s somehow, uh, the milk cart, when they had milk carts around, you know, uh, broke down outside the orphanage, and instead of the milk going to spoil because the milkman couldn't deliver it all, he gave it to the orphanage. And so they were fed, and they were given drink that day. The Lord provided it's kind of one of those famous, like, out of mind-blowing stories. But it's true. God will provide for us. That's not really unique. The fact of the matter is God cares for each and every one of us. Do we trust him to provide? And see, that's how we know. If we choose God to be our master, we know that he will provide. So what's some application? First one, we need to understand and know that money is a poor, unsatisfying God. If you choose to go after money, know that you will never be satisfied. It will never meet your needs it will never or completely satisfy you. It will never leave you, uh, leave you where you want to be. It will take you into unsatisfying places. It's a poor God. It's not something to be trusted. The next one, examine your heart for what you're serving. To be fair, we all have attachments to money because we need money to live. But the problem is, is there an unhealthy attachment that I need to check on there with money? The fact of the matter is, it's not just money, though. It can be other things in our life. Whether it be with food, whether it be with sex and relationships, whether it be with money, whether it be with entertainment, we need to check our heart regularly to see, okay, what is it that I'm actually serving in my life? What have I brought myself under? And what am I obeying? Is it God or is it something else? We need to regularly check our heart. Uh, this, is, this is another quote from the book that I really liked, and we're going to finish here with this. We are born with a thirst for attainment. From the moment we recognize the shiny weight of a handful of change or we get our first crisp paper money, we know we want more of it. Money, we realize, is good stuff to have. It's the ice cream, the soda pop, or the plush toys, uh, from, uh, plush toy gratification from, it should be the claw machine at Walmart. Soon it's much, much more. The new tops, new pair of jeans, new shoes, new coolest thing. It's a job we hope pays more than enough. 
so we can make more than enough, so we can buy more than enough, so that we can be more than enough. Money and more just naturally seem to go together. And you see, money will, will bring this attitude out if you choose to serve it. If your heart's aligned with it, you're just going to look for more and more and more. You're going to look for money to please you, to buy the things that you truly want. And it will lead you further away from God. Next one, put faith in Christ, knowing that he will provide for you. I like this comic. It's Abraham and Isaac. Uh, of course, Isaac asks, where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, uh, God will provide Isaac. And then Isaac, of course, responds, well, is it God will provide, comma, Isaac? Or God will provide Isaac? Of course, Abraham says, come here. And Isaac says, I'm not moving until you put the comma in. It's kind of funny, right? But we need to put our faith in Christ. Uh, what's really funny is Kyle's going to be talking about this in the next sermon. This is key. This is key. God provides for Abraham a ram at the last moment. The fact of the matter is, are we willing to put our faith in God that he will provide all the way up until that last moment when he does provide? Then the last, last two here, be good stewards with your money. I, I, just, I want to challenge you guys to think about your money, how you use it. Is it controlling your life, or are you using it and being a good steward of it? And the last one is use your money to serve Christ. Ask yourself on a regular basis, what is it that I can do with this to serve God? So how are you going to protect your heart from the love of money? I want to encourage you to think about that question over this next week as you think about the position that money has in your life. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for all that is that you've given to us. We thank you for our money, the money that you have given to us. It's not ours. We may have worked for it, but the fact of the matter is that you really do own it. You've given us the strength, the ability, the muscles, the time to earn it. And Lord, it all belongs to you. And help us to realize that as Christians, to have this attitude of being willing to give what, what it is that you have called us to give. Help us to have a cheerful heart. And Lord, I pray that you help us to examine our hearts today, to see what kind of attachments there are. I pray that if there are unhealthy attachments to our money, that you will help us to quickly put that right into the right perspective, to put you first as top priority in our life, to listen to you, Lord. Help us to be willing to just have the right attitude and the right master in our life. Lord, help us to be good stewards of what it is that you have given to us, whether it be our money, our possessions, our family, our relationships, our job, whatever it is. Help us to be good stewards of it and to serve you with all that we have and with all that we are, Lord. We thank you for being able to, for us being able to meet together today to study your word and to learn what it says about money and how it can be a poor master if we allow it to rule our life. Help us to realize that you are the greatest possible master that we can serve in this life. Help us to put our faith and trust in you as we walk with you each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday morning.